Good day, everyone, and welcome to the ESPN Media Conference Call. Today's conference is being recorded. At this time, I would like to turn the conference over to Allie Stoneberg. Please go ahead. Thank you, Carolyn. Good afternoon, media members. Thank you for joining us for a special Super Bowl week call with three-time Super Bowl champion Teddy Bruski. This week, Teddy will appear on editions of SportsCenter and NFL Live from ESPN set in downtown Houston. Before I take questions, I'd like to invite Teddy to share some introductory remarks. Thanks, Allie. Hello, everyone. Thanks for being part of this conference call. Uh, I've enjoyed um, covering the Super Bowls for ESPN ever since I started with them. I think it was eight years ago. And I, of course, am especially excited whenever my former organization that I spent my entire career with is a participant in the game. So it's an exciting time for me. And um, any questions you have, I'll try to answer them the best I can. Thanks, Teddy. We'll begin first with a question from Liz Clark at the Washington Post, followed by Seth Walder with the New York Daily News. Oh, um, Teddy, thank you so much for doing this. I, I, I want to apologize because this is a narrow topic and probably not the best lead-off question. Um, can you hear me okay? I can. Okay, I'll go. I'm sorry. So, actually, the question is, from your vantage point, what would be the broad takeaway of the two years spent discussing the deflate gate issue? Um, Mr. Kraft said yesterday he felt it brought his team together. But I'm wondering, as you look at the landscape of the NFL, do you have any thoughts on was it was it time, money, effort, discussion well spent, or do, do you have any thoughts to share? Um. Yeah, that's interesting in terms of the scope of over the last two years of it. Um, I just know as a former player and being an analyst, it can it can put um, it can put former Patriots on the defensive because it's obvious I think which which side I've been on during this entire ordeal. But um, for the organization itself, they've always been good with dealing with distractions. And although this was a unique distraction, mainly because I think it was targeted at one person, and it, it was targeted at Tom, and I know that everyone in that organization wanted to be there for Tom and play hard for Tom because, you know, of course, they're 100% behind him within those walls, and even we who are good friends with him like I am. So you, know, you try to support him as best you can, but definitely – I mean, it hasn't been an easy time for the organization over the past two years, but it's been an incredible test of their patience and mental toughness, and I think it shows how mentally tough they are just by, you know, deflecting everything and focusing on football and still being able to make the Super Bowl this year. We'll go to Seth Walder with the New York Daily News, followed by Hayden Bird with Boston.com. Hi, Teddy. Thanks for doing this. Uh, two questions for you. Uh, I'm wondering if, as a player in Super Bowl 36, you could describe uh, from your vantage point what, what the defensive game plan was in that game and, and why it was successful. Oh, well, it was, it was Marshall Falk-oriented, really, um, when we were going up against the, the St. Louis Rams, and he was obviously a player that was so unique and so skilled that he could threaten you in so many different ways and 
there was almost a plan for him wherever he lined up um, in terms of route disruption, um, running game disruption, um, you know, him releasing out of the backfield as an outlet, that type of disruption. It was all about that, and that was our focus in terms of defensive game plans. We knew there that was our first focus, and we also knew their speed, especially at the receiver position to where Coach Belichick would line up the receivers three yards offside so we could get used to the speed of how quickly they came off the line of scrimmage uh, during scout team. So it's just the way, the way that he taught us and showed us and simulated is probably the best word that I could use, how he simulated what we were going up against in practice was also unique. And, Carolyn, I heard that Seth had a second question, if you wouldn't mind opening his line. Thank you. Uh, just, just a quick sort of follow-up on that. Do you think um, there could be similarities in the way Belichick planned that Super Bowl defensively to what he could do on Sunday against the Falcons? Um, I, yes and no, because I think – Against the Steelers last week, I was, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that it was Le'Veon Bell oriented in terms of the game plan versus him. Um, and then after that, going somewhere else in terms of the receivers. But when there's a receiver like Julio Jones where you feel like he is a unique talent that can cause damage to your defense in a quick way, then it goes, the game plan goes to him. Uh, it's very similar to where they played the Falcons, I think it was two, three years ago. It was when Aqib Khalid was the cornerback, and they had the game plan of Khalid on Jones, and even with help over the top or inside leverage, Jones will, will be and should be the number one focal point this game. Um, you know, he, we've gone up against high-powered passing offenses when I played for them and the line in the meeting room was you guys up front have to stop the run by yourselves because we've got just too much to worry about in the back end. We can't give you an eighth man on the in the box. We can't put nine guys up there to stop the run. If you can't stop the run with six and sometimes seven, we're going to have a problem. So he put the pressure on the front players that and knowing that, well, the greater of the evils, you know, the threat is the passing game, so you have to step up in terms of stopping the run. So Julio Jones first. So actually, I would think it is different. We'll go to Hayden Bird with Boston.com, followed by Nick Underhill with the New Orleans Advocate. Hi, Teddy. Uh, just wanted to um, ask, you know, I know it's a, kind of a general question, but uh, you know, because I feel like we keep asking this question every time they make a Super Bowl, which they seem to keep doing. How many more years do you think Brady and Belichick have together? And uh, do you think with, uh, either of them, which one do you think will, uh, I guess, uh, leave the Patriots first? Um, I mean, I'd say at least three. Um, Tom still looks healthy. The game is is designed for him to stay healthy. And he just takes it so seriously. I mean, it's an obsession with him in terms of, uh, in terms of his, his, um, durability. Okay. Um, 
I think he even said it today in the, in, the, in the press conferences about his combine and how he'd crush it now. I mean, that's just his that's his mentality of that he's better than he was and he'll continue to get better. So I'm not going to give him a four or five. I'll say three. And and Coach Belichick, I just don't see him slowing down anytime soon. I think that he mentioned it today. You know, Stephen and Brian being there with him, his sons. That gives you that. I mean, I have a son, but it, it's a different it's a different uh, dynamic. But to have them there in the building, I can only uh, assume how energizing it is when you work and you work. Or I'll, I'll give you an example as a player. When I'm a player and I'm there and I'm staying late and I'm taking care of my body and I'm watching film, I stray sometimes. I would and think about my sons, my young sons who are at home, and you feel that pull. Of man, okay, let's hurry up and get this done so I can get out of here. His sons are in the building, you know, and he works with his son. So I'm sure that provides a little bit more energy to him. So maybe that gives him even um, a longer career because he wants to develop them because obviously, possibly they do have goals of being, you know, accomplished coaches in this, in the, in the National Football League. So I don't see why he wouldn't. Look at it as, you know what, I'm going to stick around here. Steve's here, Brian's here. I'm going to help them with their careers also. I mean, and also continue uh, my career. So um, I don't see him slowing down anytime soon. We'll go to Nick with the New Orleans Advocate, followed by Karen with the Boston Herald. Teddy, you often hear people like Parcells and Bill Walsh talk about how a coach maybe has like a 10-year shelf life on his message with one team. What are some of the things Belichick does to kind of just keep his message fresh? Um, the team wins. That's when you really start going through losing streaks. That's when you got to find a different formula. But I was just in the facility a few weeks ago during the AFC Championship, and you'd be surprised about the same sign is on the door, guys. And it's there, and it's always there, and it'll always be there. And it says the same thing. You know, when you enter this building, you know, there are four things to do. And then when you leave this building, there are four things to do. And it's the same. It's the same as it was when I was there. It's the last thing I saw when I walked out of there after my my retirement press conference. (laughs) And, you know, do your job. Be attentive. Work hard. Put the team first. That's what you see when you enter the building. I mean, uh, those type of messages are still there, and they can stay consistent and be the same as long as they're reaping the benefits of winning. You know, you go through a losing streak and you bury a ball in the ground, you change things up a little bit, but until you, until you have a little hiccup, you know, you don't, you don't look to change much. And, you know, Bill, he's just stuck to the formula for a long time. We'll go to Karen with the Boston Herald, followed by Chrissy with sportsbank.net. Hey, Teddy. Hi, Karen. Um, how you doing? Uh, uh, coach Belichick uh, often gets lauded for the job he does as a head coach, and, and rightfully so. What kind, How you think he does or thought he did this year as a – kind of a de facto GM and the players he brought in and, and the moves he made via trades and, and whatnot this year? 
Yeah, I think I think the main thing that I saw this year with him is sort of his emphasis on still how the locker room is very important and the people that you have in the locker room are very important. Um, why do you get rid of a Chandler Jones last year? Why do you get rid of a Jamie Collins? I mean, that's that's got to be in terms of in terms of things where if you feel like they're not in it for the long haul and you feel like they have other motives that aren't consistent with what you believe in as an organization or what your other players need to be seeing from the best players and the leaders, you know, all of a sudden they're gone. And messages are sent and, you know, the importance of team and, you know, being there for the right reasons is reemphasized. So those hard moves, those are the ones that I probably always take notice of and why he's done certain things. And those are a couple. This year, Karen, that I thought really emphasized about how how important just the overall, you know, emotions and, and, and the feeling of the locker room is still important in that organization. We'll go to Chrissy Freud, followed by Lawrence Dukes with PSJ Sports. Hey, Teddy. Obviously, you have some experience playing this game in Houston with some of these same players. Uh, just tell me, what is it like to play the Super Bowl in Houston compared to other places, and how do you see this game unfolding? Um, well, playing the game in Houston compared to other places, I don't know. I guess the only difference would be the city and the and the town and you know the where you are. The field's always the same. So the location, the location. I'm not. I'm maybe I'm not understanding your question there, but um, it never mattered where it was. You know, the game's so special and the game's so big. You know, once you get out there and play, it's the same as it was before, and you remember. Um, how the game how the game unfolds. You know, this one here is um it's the two great football teams. I wish I could say I had a you know, a clean read on what it was gonna be, but there's so many variables that I'm just not sure of. And you know, I'm not sure of the Falcon defense because you know, since Thanksgiving, you know, 81% of their snaps in the fourth quarter, they've had a lead of 15 points or more. So you're basically watching a team that's in prevent defense, and how realistic is that? Have they been in a close game? What are they going to do when they're challenged? Things like that. You know, the New England defense themselves going up against Matt Ryan in this system. I mean, I know that in Kyle Shanahan, from Mike Shanahan, the zone read, the play action that Matt Ryan does now that he's gotten so much better at, from last year, it's a, it's a it's a system that can give the Patriots defense problems because it I mean just having experience and playing in it playing in it it's it's a lot different than the running game even in Pittsburgh so the run the play action pass the way they can have weapons on the outside so I can't tell you how it's going to play out so I th- I just think it's going to be a tight game and uh, you know do the kickers come into play they're both good kickers also but it's going to be a great Super Bowl. We'll go to Lawrence Dukes, followed by Paul Esden with ESPN Radio. Good afternoon, Teddy. I have two questions for you. Uh, first, I would, uh, if possible, could you 
compare the Patriots D defense of this year compared to the ones that you played on. And with the Patriots having the propensity to uh, either run the ball or uh, pass the ball, they can beat you with a variety of ways. Uh, which way do you see uh, being the most predominant factor, per se, this uh, Sunday? Okay. Um, all right, first of all, comparing the defenses that I played on to the defense now, um, I, th- I just think it's very different because of where offensive football is now. I mean, these these linebackers especially have to do so much in space. Um, there's so much you know, nickel football, dime, you know, multiple receiver sets to deal with. I think that we only had to deal with it mainly at times when we play Peyton Manning and offenses like that. So those were those were game game plan changing offenses we go against. But it seems like every week now that they play, there's a lot of spread formationing and a lot of multiple receivers. So multiple defensive backs. I mean, you see how well all of the defensive backs of the New England Patriots have to tackle because essentially. A lot of these short passes are just an extension of the running game. So it's a quick little pass, and then they make DBs, make tackles, and, and that's the way it is. But I'll tell you, players like Devin McCourty, um, he's a guy that would have excelled, you know, even in the past. I mean, in the, just like he is right now, I really think Devin's like the Earl Thomas of the Patriots defense. I think he's that good. Um, players like him and, and Hightower is a great player also. They have they have players that would have fit in seamlessly to our defenses in the past, and you know part of me thinks there are some elements that our defense had that it couldn't be implemented right now because of the offenses that they're going against. Um, so, what's more important in terms of the passing game or the running game? I think I think Legarrette Blunt in the running game is, is going to be very important in this game for the New England Patriots. I don't think that's been talked about a lot, but, like, you know, establishing their physical presence. Because, like I said, I think them watching them on film and seeing all of this catch-up that their opponents are starting having to play and they're in pass rush mode, they're in pass rush mode, they're all dropping back and then breaking on the quarterback and on the throwing balls. You almost sometimes forget to play the run and how sometimes you have to buckle up and really have to, play first and second down and tackle a big back, you know, because, you know, you're ahead, so they have to throw it. So the Patriots may may see this and say, well, let's see if they remembered how to stop the run and definitely give them them a a dose of a Garrett blunt. Next up is Paul Esden, followed by Kevin McNamara with the Providence Journal. Hey, Teddy, I've got two questions for you. And uh, first off, Quite often, the New England Patriots have been talked about as the San Antonio Spurs of football and vice versa. Take us inside, Teddy. This aura that surrounds the team, is there something tangible there? There seems to be the standard of winning that has been set, and all the players have bought into it. Uh, can you try to describe this tangible aura that's been around this team for a long time? Well, the entire aura is, well, let's say it, it, it starts with, the head coach and the coaches in terms of, you know, Popovich, Greg Popovich and Bill Belichick and the way that they coach their team. Um, it's very unique to where they don't care that they, I mean, 
they will coach their best players the hardest. And once they do that, you know, the players that, you know, aren't your best players know that, well, if he's getting on him, he's going to get on me if I mess up too, so I need to raise my standard. And that's really such an important aspect of creating a culture, I think, because it creates a culture of accountability. And I remember having meetings with Coach Belichick and talking to him about, I think guys are slipping a little bit. We need to get a little bit harder on these guys. Practices need to be harder. I mean, we got to come down and reemphasize what our overall goal is this year. The next meeting, he comes in, and the guy that he jumps on is me. I go, okay, if this is where you want to send the message, go ahead. But that's just the way it was. I mean, you see your best players. I mean, when he gets on Brady, everybody understands not why he's doing it, but is, is he deserving of that kind of criticism? Well, yes, he is. He didn't perform well on that various play. He's showing everyone. Everyone picks up their accountability. I think that's where it, that's where it all starts because if you have any type of preferential treatment to guys and that's when the individuality seeks, sinks in to where, well, that's, that's his deal. That's not mine. So I think those two head coaches are the ones that that really set the tone in that aspect of it in terms of that culture you're talking about. And, you know, if you have veterans that also fall in line, you go all the way from quarterback to kicker in terms of your veteran players. They welcome it. You know, they stay humble and they teach the younger guys because this is what I learned from being there for so long. Everyone talks about do your job, do your job, do your job. Yes, but really it's a three-step process in my mind, which is always, which, which it always was. And the first process, you was, the first step you've all heard, do your job, and that's what Coach Belichick said. And you might have even heard him say there's something implied to do your job well, and he stopped there. But if you're a member of the organization for as long as I was and you become a veteran leader, it's do your job, do your job well, then help someone else do theirs. And then if everyone starts, then if everyone starts to understand that, that's when you have the beginning of something that can be pretty special. Carolyn, I heard Paul had a second part to that question. If you would open his line, please. Yeah, Teddy, as a follow-up here, speaking of Bill Belichick, he's this defensive mastermind, and when fans think of the Patriots, they think of the high-octane offense run by Tom Brady. Do they get the credit they deserve, the New England Patriots defense? I'm sure if you asked Bill this question, he wouldn't care about the credit, but what are your thoughts? Um... Well, obviously, they don't get the credit they deserve, in my opinion. It's, I think it's all understand, un, understandable in that in that locker room about who the attention grabbers are. It's one of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the game and the coaches. That's what everyone always going to go to. But I think defensive coordinator Matt Patricia does a great job of installing, you know, by you know just the pride within the room. And maybe he's addressed it. You're not going to get the attention. You're not going to get the accolades. But what you do is win championships and focusing on things like that because it's just not in in them to want attention or seek out attention as a unit. At least that's what they preach from the coaching position. So, you know, they've, they've done a great job. And it's, it's the leading scoring defense. Situationally, it's a great team in terms of third down, red area, points per game. That, you know, those type of things is what they pride themselves on. Yards per game, they couldn't care less about yards per game. It's about situation, situational success, and they've done well at that. 
and that's what they pride themselves on, and attention is the last thing they care about. And, Kevin, we've got about three minutes left. So, Kevin McNamara, last question goes to you. Thank you. Hi, Teddy. Uh, I've talked to a few guys, uh, returning players and also some uh, retiring players, uh, about what the last 36 hours before Super Bowl is all about, you know, how it's just a, a different everyone says we want to keep the process the same. It's really a challenge, obviously, in that situation before you play the biggest game of your life. You play the game a couple times. Can you just – does anything stick out in your mind of what occurred in, in, in those last few hours? I wouldn't say you're 100% prepared in those last few hours. And okay, we're talking 36 hours, so I'm, back, I'm going back to Friday practice, so Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Okay, let's go there. Um you're not 100% prepared because there's within, as well as, I'll just speak, I don't know about Atlanta, but within, or other teams, but within my experiences with the Patriots, we've had Super Bowl game plans that were adjusted on Friday. Minor adjustments that were finally installed on Friday. And guys would look around and say, why are we changing this now? But they saw, look, they didn't like in practice, or it didn't look right the way we executed it in practice, so... You change it on Friday. Um, I heard Josh talking about, Josh McDaniels, the offensive coordinator, talking about Julian Edelman's touchdown a couple years ago, the route that was put in Saturday Saturday evening. So with New England, it's always organic. If they feel like something that needs to be changed, they'll change it before the game on the board. It doesn't matter. So that always keeps you on your toes to be prepared. So that's sort of from from a scheme-wise, how you're always on your toes for all the adjustments and multiple adjustments from New England. Um, but in terms of anything else, the 36 hours before Friday night was always something I looked forward to because that's when you get everyone that's close within your inner circle and you have a meal with them. And I mean, a funny story for me, everyone would always go out. Everyone always go out into the chaos, wherever restaurant it was. You walk out of these hotels on Friday, it's going to be packed everywhere you go when the team meal at the hotel was always available. And so I, everybody left, but then I'd always bring my family back in, back into the hotel and we'd eat the team, meeting, the team meal because no one else was there. Now it was sort of against rules, but I still was, I, mean, I had been a few of those, so I was able to do that. <laughs> it just worked out well for me. So that family meal, in the hotel, that that Friday sort of calming once you said goodbye to everybody because then it was like, we'll see you after the game, and then the Saturday amongst yourselves and the long wait and how you deal with the long wait and not being too anxious, too stressed out, try to get some sleep and wait for the game because it eventually will come. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Thank you very much to Teddy and to all the media members on the line for being with us today. I do apologize we couldn't get to everyone. Please feel free to reach out to me if you're looking for a programming schedule or any other ESPN details now that we're here in Houston. Thanks so much. Have a great rest of the week. And that does, Thank you, everyone. That does conclude today's conference call. Thank you, everyone, for your participation. You may now disconnect.